Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Grace Nerd, the new documentary from Candace Owens and The Daily Wire called The Greatest Lie Ever Sold was just released this evening, and I just watched it. So I figured I would go ahead and give a brief review. So let's go ahead and get started. Black Lives Matter released their 990 IRS filing. They collected $80 million. Where is that money? It's not here. Everything looks worse than it was. Well, like I said, welcome back to Grace Nerd. My name is Eric, and if you enjoy conversation about the Christian life or Christian theology or commentary on culture from a Christian worldview, then make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the channel. And if you enjoy this video, make sure that you leave a like. Or if you've discovered this podcast in audio form, make sure that you follow wherever you are. So this will be the third movie from The Daily Wire that I've covered. I talked about uh, the documentary What is a Woman, and I also talked about Terror on the Prairie. And so I'm looking forward to reviewing now a second documentary. I think that, generally speaking, conservative media has a pretty good grasp on documentary filmmaking and has for a long time, whereas with The Daily Wire doing fiction, they're much more just now beginning to start to get their foot in the door. It does seem that getting to a place where you can make a really polished documentary is not quite as long of a journey as creating a polished fictional work. That's not to say that the fictional movies from The Daily Wire are bad or anything like that, but it's probably an area where they need more work than they do in their documentary work. And so how about this documentary? I think the best way to go about this will be to compare this documentary to the What is a Woman documentary. I think there was really something pretty special about the What is a Woman documentary, and I think a lot of people recognize that. An interesting thing that Matt Walsh did that I think he's kind of admitted himself is that he put aside his sort of self-proclaimed shock jock persona, and he really approached that documentary, at least towards the beginning of the documentary and much of the first half of the documentary at the very least. He, He approached it with a sort of quiet and questioning attitude, and he really let the activists in the movement he was questioning really kind of dig their own grave and tie their own noose or however you want to put it. And they really just sort of showed sort of the insanity of their movement for themselves. And I'd say that's one way that this documentary from Candace Owens really contrasts that Matt Walsh documentary in that she really approaches the documentary putting her whole self out there right from the start. It starts right off the bat with her showing footage of sort of the early videos she made really uh, protesting a lot of the celebration of the life of George Floyd and painting him as a saint. And she really went through his rap sheet, going through a lot of his criminal history, and it really caused a lot of controversy to surround her when the whole George Floyd event really exploded onto the scene. Really, it was as if she really didn't seem to have an interest in beginning the documentary in quite as an objective a place as Matt Walsh did in his documentary. It really becomes pretty clear early on in the documentary that Candace Owens, her her intention was to really start off the documentary making clear, like, look, I'm going to represent the narrative I've been telling you from the beginning here. And you might like that, and you might not like that. Really, I tried to approach this documentary trying to watch it with sort of two sets of eyes, which kind of made my brain hurt, to be honest with you. I approached it as, you know, a pretty conservative person myself, someone who's pretty open to hearing the points that The Daily Wire wants to make and what Candace Owens wants to say. But then I also approached the documentary trying to imagine someone seeing it and really having only heard the narrative of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter from the perspective of the mainstream media. How would this documentary strike somebody who really hasn't heard any of these points before? 
And again, I think this was a strength that the What is a Woman documentary had, but I think maybe this is a weakness that this documentary has in that, honestly, I think if you approach, for instance, the trans movement, as it's talked about in the What is a Woman documentary, and you've sort of vaguely bought into it, but you don't have all the information, if you approach that documentary, I think it really lends itself to someone coming in, not knowing exactly what they're about to hear. And it sort of asks the questions. And, you know, it really, once it hits those heavy hitting points with all of that really shocking information, you know, it could, it could shock anyone who watches it. You don't necessarily feel the narrative coming if you have a somewhat open mind. Whereas with this Candace Owens documentary, I think that you really see her narrative coming right from the beginning. And so I think someone approaching this documentary, if they already have their mind made up about Candace Owens, at least for a lot of the documentary, I think it may have the danger of only reinforcing a lot of those points. But that being said, I'll sort of walk through sort of the structure of the documentary so you understand what I'm saying. From the beginning, one good thing I think she did do was she went and she interviewed the uh, roommates of George Floyd. And uh, what was interesting was if you look at the older, more harsh words from Candace Owens about George Floyd, she talks about his rap sheet. Like I said, when she talks to the roommates, they really do have a pretty favorable picture of him in their minds, remembering him. And they talk about how they would read the Bible with him and how they were aware of his past, but how he really seemed to keep all of that stuff out of his life, at least as far as they were concerned. They basically said, like, look, if he had addiction issues in his life or anything like that, he really kept it out of the house. And we have, again, this positive picture of him. And what was interesting was, you know, Candace Owens didn't really try to refute that. She really let them speak and she really did seem to listen to that. And so that was interesting. So it wasn't necessarily clear where she was going. Uh, But ultimately, she jumps away from that and uh, the documentary begins to move into the actual George Floyd court case. What they show in this portion of the documentary is that Derek Chauvin and his mother actually were told by their lawyers not to talk during this documentary, not to give their side of the story. They are apparently still in the middle of an appeal process, and so they didn't sit down for any interviews. And so basically, uh, Candace Owens ends up sitting down with other police officers that Derek Chauvin worked with. And again, if you go into this documentary sort of expecting shocking new information, a lot of this, uh, I kind of expected many of the things that I heard. A lot of the officers who worked with Derek Chauvin said that they ultimately had a, a positive image of him in their minds. They were really upset with the way that a lot of the court proceedings went. They disagreed with all of the times that he was painted as a racist and things like that. And ultimately, I would say that this is probably the best distillation of the sort of argument on the side of Derek Chauvin that you're going to get as far as the cause of death with George Floyd. They explain how there were drugs in his system that he probably consumed right before the arrest in order to hide the fact that he had them. They talk about the fact that it basically could have easily killed someone in another context. They show footage where Derek Chauvin's knee was more on George Floyd's shoulder rather than his neck. And they talk about the fact that there were no broken bones. There was no like broken airway or anything like that. And the thing for me was I had already heard a lot of this. And so none of this was terribly shocking to me. And so perhaps a lot of this stuff might surprise someone who's never heard this before, who's only heard one side of the story. But if it is someone who is ultimately an opponent of Candace Owens, but who has also listened to her, they're not necessarily going to hear anything new here. And so they might leave the documentary, at least at this point, still ultimately being against Candace Owens' perspective. And so again, I was kind of torn at this point. I was basically enjoying the documentary, glad to see this information put in an organized fashion. But I knew that a lot of critics probably would not be convinced even by this point in the documentary. And so again, this this portion of the documentary involves uh, fellow officers who worked with Derek Chauvin. It involves interviews with the store owner during the arrest. 
It shows footage of the arrest. It shows things like uh, George Floyd saying he wanted to be put on the ground. It shows footage of him saying, calling for his mother, which something they paralleled that was interesting here was they showed uh, a former arrest of George Floyd where he said he was asking for his mama as well. Uh, But it turns out that uh, when he would say his mama, mama was actually a nickname for his girlfriend. And she actually uh, testified in court uh, admitting that much. So that was interesting. And it removed sort of a bit of the emotional victim narrative a little bit. And then after this, they show some interviews of people who were intimidated in the midst of all this. There was one story of a journalist who was married to a cop who from the beginning said she wouldn't cover stories that involved uh, police unions or things like that because she understood the conflict of interest. But in spite of her staying away from those kind of stories, once the George Floyd incident happened, she was basically run out of town and her career as a journalist was ruined because of being married to a cop. So that was an interesting story. I'd say uh, told pretty convincingly and was pretty moving. And then the documentary moves on and talks about the many, many millions of dollars, maybe billions of dollars in damage around the country due to the protests from Black Lives Matter. One interesting story that gets covered is of a store owner who he had some uh, Instagram celebrities basically incite violence against his store because of their many followers. And when he interacted with them on Instagram, they basically uh, blackmailed him and said they're going to continue to uh, promote these posts unless he donates money to Black Lives Matter. And he ultimately ended up being smeared as a racist for no particular reason. And he was ultimately the victim of a lot of this looting. And then there's some footage shown in an interview conducted with a pastor in the area where George Floyd was killed. And there's like a shrine that's basically built to him. And this black pastor basically expresses how it makes him feel when George Floyd is basically put over and above someone like Martin Luther King and is basically treated like a savior in the situation where there's like a shrine built to him like you would build to someone like Christ. All of this in spite of, again, his criminal history. But again, I will say it, it is interesting. Candace Owens doesn't necessarily press as hard into his criminal history. She makes it much more a story about his addiction leading up to his death. She doesn't necessarily apologize or recant any of the things that she said before about his criminal history. But again, it's not the focus as much throughout the course of the documentary. She more emphasizes the fact that it's strange that he is made into a saint simply because he died at the hands of a police officer. It was at this point in the documentary, though, where uh, Candace Owens begins to dive into some things that I was pretty interested in as I entered the documentary. She begins to talk about what exactly Black Lives Matter supposedly did with all of the money that they received. In their taxes, it was shown that there was about $80 million that they brought in. And what's outlined is many, many, many organizations that were donated to that focus on trans causes and LGBTQ, etc., etc., causes. And again, I I looked at this part of the documentary and I tried to look at it with two sets of eyes. A conservative going into this is obviously probably not going to be shocked by this because we've begun to hear all of the ways in which these different critical theories like critical race theory or gender theory or things like that are kind of mixed together academically. And so this whole oppressor oppressed narrative really spreads through all of these movements. And so they kind of interconnect in all these ways. But Candace Owens makes the connection pretty clear here where they show that these leaders in these movements often have uh, gender nonconformity in them, you might say. And from what I understand, if you look at the Black Lives Matter website, you see the sort of political connections they have to these uh, different ideological movements regarding gender. And if you know the academic connections, this shouldn't be shocking to you. But I think this is a point where someone who's 
perhaps new to these different issues might come in and they might be surprised and learn something new. Someone who was perhaps more sympathetic to the whole George Floyd situation and simply wanted to sympathize with the Black Lives Matter movement because they hated racism, they might come into this and finally sort of see the more political agendas behind the movement. But again, if you're entering this documentary as a true believer who already sort of sees the world in this far, far left sort of way, you might still hold out a certain opposition to what Candace Owens is doing here. But even if you are a, you might say, true believer and you really see the connection between all of these left-wing causes and you support them all, there is a pretty good outline at this later part of the documentary where you begin to see there does seem to still be a lot of corruption in the handling of this money. A lot of the time these organizations, they, they're just sort of a front. And if you research them online and you want to go to an event or anything like that, they almost don't really exist outside of their websites and things like that. And there's a portion where Candace Owens is trying to call up a bunch of organizations who even, you know, don't have a connection to these gender issues and they really are just claiming to support fight against racism. Many of them simply don't answer the phone or when they do, they're really just talking about ways that they're bailing out criminals or they're talking about just this sort of abstract uh, allegiance to this sort of mission and cause. And it's really just the creation of activists rather than financially supporting victims. And uh, really a sort of a contrast is drawn toward the end of the documentary where you see the roommates of George Floyd who are financially struggling because, again, they were sharing rent with him and a lot of that burden fell onto them when he died. They didn't receive any support from Black Lives Matter and George Floyd's family never came to gather his things. And they were often just left on their own. And yet this $80 million, really a lot of it just, again, went to these odd political, strangely disconnected causes, or it went to real estate or large homes in mansions that were purchased for the leaders of the movement. And I think that a lot of the information that is revealed here, uh, this is probably the strongest point in the documentary where naysayers may begin to be convinced that something is amiss here. And so that's sort of the outline of the documentary. There, I think it was pretty well put together. But again, you do see Candace Owens's personality much more strongly throughout the documentary. I think people who are going in with a much more critical attitude may feel that her interviews are a bit more leading than, say, Matt Walsh's interviews in the What is a Woman documentary. But that said, I don't think that I sensed there was any dishonesty throughout the documentary. It seemed to be a pretty good expose and it revealed a lot of uh, interesting things. Uh, again, a lot of it in terms of the criminal trial and a lot of the evidence, uh, That was, those were a lot of things that I actually had heard a lot about throughout the midst of uh, the story when it was all unfolding. And so if people were not convinced by those arguments at the time, uh, when those things were revealed, they're probably not going to be convinced by the documentary. But that being said, it is probably the best distillation, again, of all of the evidence from the other side. So it's worth watching for that reason. And so uh, overall, again, as usual, I would say I, I would recommend the documentary. I think uh, there's a, a lot of good information in it, and it's pretty revealing in a lot of ways. Some good, I think, research was done and journalism was done throughout its creation. If I were to weigh it up against the What is a Woman documentary, again, I would say, I think across the board, I think there was something sort of singular about the What is a Woman documentary, and there's a certain quality about it that I've seen it just convince various people online as I've watched reaction videos and things like that. Whereas this one, someone coming in critical, who's very committed, uh, it may take a little bit more of the documentary to convince them if they're convinced at all. But if you're someone who is already on the side of Candace Owens' perspective, I'm not necessarily 
uh, against the idea of preaching to the choir, as it were. Uh, I think people often, if they have correct beliefs, uh, there's nothing wrong with bolstering those beliefs and helping them articulate them better. And I would say I'm largely sympathetic to the points that she makes here. And so uh, there's definitely use for the documentary, even if it's largely watched by people who already agree with it. But that said, uh, that's just my perspective. Perhaps it would be even more potent than I realize for people who are unaware of the information that's in it. You never really know what you don't know until it's shown that you don't know it. So it'd be interesting to watch someone who's more of a naysayer watch the documentary. I'd be interested in their reaction. So if you've seen the documentary, uh, make sure that you comment below and tell me what you thought. If you found this video helpful or interesting or it inspired you to go see the documentary, let me know. Uh, I'd be interested in your perspective. If you enjoyed the video, leave a like. And again, if you enjoy this kind of content or uh, content, again, from a Christian perspective, talking about Christian theology or culture from a Christian worldview, uh, I do a weekly vodcast with my friend Caleb, generally on Fridays when we have the time. Then I often do little monologues myself, maybe once a week if I'm able to fit them in. Again, generally I'll tackle cultural issues from a Christian perspective or talk purely about theological topics. And again, if those things interest you, make sure that you go ahead and subscribe. Or if you've, again, discovered the podcast in audio form, make sure that you follow wherever you are. Again, my name is Eric. This is Grace Nerd, and we will see you again in the next one. Thank you so much for watching.